This week in KMA Land, more water woes in Shenandoah. Wind turbine fire in Adair County. Groundbreaking held for Pottawatomie County Public Health Facility. Job fair held for Clarinda Correctional Facility inmates. And Red Oak Council debates Mid-American franchise fee. I'm Mike Peterson. Water-related issues caught the attention of Shenandoah residents once again this week, but this time the issues involved broken water lines and service disruptions. City officials issued a boiled or bottled water advisory for West Sheridan Avenue between Blossom and Sycamore Streets and the 100 block of North Sycamore Street between Lowell and Sheridan Avenues on Monday. Shenandoah Water Superintendent Tim Martin tells KMA News the advisory was issued due to a water leak in that vicinity. There was a six-inch water main on on the uh, 100 block of Sycamore on the west side of the road that had about a three or four-inch crack. So we uh, were digging it, getting ready to repair it when it got bigger, and we had to find the right valves to shut down. Once we got the right valve shut down, we simply put a repair clamp on it and fixed it. City officials later lifted the advisory for that area after water tests for bacteria were negative. Yet another advisory was issued Tuesday morning for another water main break on East Ferguson Road, east of Center Street. Martin says water services were restored after workers completed repairs at around 7 that evening. There was a vertical or horizontal split along the bottom of the 6-inch pipe. I think it's around 48 inches long. So they cut that section out, including a bell that we wanted to take out, and we replaced about 52 inches of new pipe with two high-max couplings and then turned the water back on, got pressure, took a sample, and they ran the sample up this morning. Martin says it's the sixth repair of the water line in that vicinity in the past few years. The pipe on East Ferguson is not in good shape. It's thin. It can easily be broken with a hammer. So one of these days in the near future, probably in a couple of years, we'll have to try to replace part of it. Given the city's aging water infrastructure and continued dry conditions, Martin fears other broken pipes in the near future. In my opinion, if, if we do not get rain and we continue the dry conditions and we get cold snaps and warm snaps, yes, we will get more breaks. City officials eventually lifted the boil order for East Ferguson on Thursday. Firefighters at Adair County this week faced a major challenge when a wind turbine suddenly caught fire. Adair Guthrie County Emergency Manager Robert Kempf tells KMA News several fire crews and first responders were dispatched for reports of a turbine on fire a Thursday afternoon within the Amber Hills Wind Farm south of Menlo or west of Stewart. Upon arrival, Kemp says heavy smoke poured from the top of the nearly 22-foot structure. There was smoke coming uh, from the generator area of the wind turbine upon our arrival. Um, some of the debris had started to fall off of the windmill and had caught the, the beam stubble um, in the field on fire. That field had already been harvested, so there was no crop loss with the fire. Kemp's added that one of the blades eventually caught fire, split in half, and fell to the field. He says firefighters were limited in controlling the blaze due to the fire's height and falling debris. Instead, Kemp says fire crews focused on containing the field fire until the turbine burned itself out. The fire department in their command decided to let a little bit bigger area of the bean field to go ahead and burn uh, just as a safety factor to keep it from spreading anymore because uh, to the north of the field uh, where the incident was and to the east there were unharvested cornfields 
So we wanted to make sure that uh, the fire was contained uh, right there to the property where the wind turbine was. He says operations ceased at around 3.30 p.m. Crews from the Stewart, Menlo, and Casey Fire Departments, Stewart EMS, Adair County Sheriff's Office, Adair Guthrie County EMA, Mid-American Energy, and Vestas American Wind Technology responded to the scene. Well, they've had a few blades break on turbines in the area in the past. Kemp says at least in his experience, turbine fires like this are somewhat a rare occurrence. This is, I think, only the second time that we've actually had one that caught on fire, but they are mechanical. It's no different than, you know, I mean, we have our combine fires and things like that here in the fall, you know, when there's a mechanical malfunction of our combines, you know, same with a car fire. One of the things people need to realize is, you know, the wind turbines are mechanical. It can happen. It's it's an accident. It's not something that's very common, but it does happen. In an email statement, Jeff Greenwood with Mid-American Energy said the company is still working with Vestas American Wind Technology and the fire departments to determine the cause of the fire. Ground was broken this week on a new $6.1 million public health facility in Pottawatomie County. At a special ceremony Tuesday afternoon, leaders and staff of Pottawatomie County Public Health joined with the Board of Supervisors, Health Board, and Planning and Zoning officials to pave the way for a nearly 16,000-square-foot facility. Nestled on the corner of Fifth Avenue and Pearl Street, the new building will be located just across the street from the Pottawatomie County Courthouse. Matt Wyant is the County Planning and Zoning Coordinator. Wyant tells King MA News the new facility is a significant space upgrade for public health agencies in the county. Currently, we're operating out of an 1,800-square-foot space, and we're going to be expanding out into this new facility with over 15,000 square feet of space. It's really going to centralize those public health services into a single location for our residents to come to. Plans call for financing the project with $2.6 million in American Rescue Plan Act funds and $3 million out of an urban renewal bond. Wyant says state grants and residual general funds will cover nearly $300,000. He adds the building will also include a large training room for several county agencies the facilities will house. We're going to expand our areas for service and programs such as population health, uh, health improvement programs, health educational programs, sexual health, the WIC program, which is women's, infants, and children, environmental health, and the Pottawatomie County Medical Examiner's Office and animal control, as well as employees from Iowa HHS, and we'll have room for local CDC personnel. Depending on the program, Wyant says the facility will serve Pottawatomie County and residents throughout the region. 2017, that's the first thing we did was we took the state's plan and read through it, and their strategic plan had set out regionalization efforts, and so we wanted to make sure that we were set up to be that regional hub as the state moved forward with their plan, and that's really what this large space does for us. It gives us that room to grow and um, the other counties that we operate in, it's not they wouldn't be losing service or losing a presence there. It just gives our employees a home base to be able to come in, touch in at, and then go to work in those other counties. Maria Seek is the Pottawatomie County Public Health Director. On top of expressing excitement to begin the construction process, Seek says it's taken a large team to make the project possible. We've had field day development that have really been coordinating the whole effort for us as a consultant and they they have worked with us in uh, the the architect pulling the architect in organizing the meetings the board of supervisors has been a part of all of those meetings officials say the plan is to have the facility open and operational by december 2024 
Incarcerated individuals in Clarinda preparing to re-enter their communities received information on job opportunities Wednesday. Clarinda Correctional Facility held a career and job fair, including a morning and afternoon session for individuals within the facility to meet with employers and available resources. Blaine Sunderman is a re-entry workforce advisor with Iowa Works, one of six across the state. Sunderman says the event is a collaboration with Iowa Works and the Department of Corrections targeted at finding opportunities for individuals set to rejoin their communities within the next eight months to a year. It's a various amount of different number of employers, resources such as state resources, uh, Title I, Iowa Works people, type of, that type of thing, just to kind of expose the individuals here to employment, employers, uh, get their names in there, um, get them a chance to see what kind of jobs are out there, possibly get them a job. Sunderman says a similar event took place in Clarinda a few years ago, but factors, including the COVID-19 pandemic, curtailed other scheduled job fairs. He adds a wide variety of employers were on hand. So we have John Deere, Parker Hannafin Corporation from Red Oak, H&H Trailer, NSK, uh, Rasmussen Group, uh, Ready Mix, um, DES Employment from all over the state, Prestige Foods, which is kind of the northern part of Iowa, Rain Recruiting from Des Moines, WorkSource from Des Moines, uh, precision pulley from Linux and Corning, as well as Pella uh, and Vanguard Utility Partners. And they're mainly located all throughout the states. Aaron Shar is deputy warden with Clarinda Correctional Facility. Shar emphasized the role a good paying job can play in keeping an individual from reoffending. Some research shows that up to 40% uh, reduction in recidivism by you know, livable wages when uh, when a person goes back to the community, reenters the community. And I think I don't think that can be, you know, overstated how important it is. Um, we're continuing, you know, to focus on the department's mission, creating opportunities for safer communities. You know, part of that safer communities is is people who are, you know, gainfully employed and, and not returning uh, back to incarceration. Shar says Iowa Works primarily recruited various employers and state resources. Plans to implement a franchise fee on gas and electric services in Red Oak crossed a significant hurdle this week. By 4-1 to one votes Monday night, the Red Oak City Council approved the first readings for establishing 5% franchise fees on mid-American energy for both electric and gas services in the community. The fees are part of the city's 25-year franchise agreement with the company. The council has been discussing potential fees for over a year now as another way to increase revenues for the city as property tax reform comes down from the state legislature. Based on the city's revenue purpose statement, Councilman Tim Freidoff says the first 1% of the revenues would go towards similar allocations as the current 1% local option sales tax. However, the city could not collect on the two services if they implement the fee. The amount representing revenues generated from a 1% gas and electric franchise fee shall be distributed in like manner to the distribution of the local option sales and services tax. So any entities or anything that's we're currently using the lost funds for, we are replacing that when that goes away with 1% of the franchise fee. So those entities are not going to lose any funding at all. In fact, we'll get more because we don't get the full 100% of the 1% from the state the way that it is. Based on the city estimates, the franchise fee would generate between $82,000 for gas and electricity to over $413,000 annually based on the percentage the council would set. Red Oak Mayor Shana Sylvia says the remaining 4% will go towards various infrastructure improvements. So it would go into a special account that would be used for things such as sidewalks, things such as reconstruction of street projects with infrastructure underneath, 
Uh, it could go for playground equipment or recreation, all kinds of economic development type and city utility uh, infrastructure. Based on a $182 gas and electric mid-American bill, City Administrator Kyra Smith says the 5% fee would result in an uptick of roughly $7 a month. However, Councilman Pete Wenhoff, who cast the loan dissenting vote on both fees, believes the council should have waited until next year to implement the fees. I still think it's bad timing at this point to do it. I think it needs to wait until after the year, the new fiscal year. Um, just to decide, I think, you know, people paying an extra six bucks, okay, that's nothing to some, but that's a lot to others at this point. Get through the holidays and start the new year. That's just my take. Karen Blue is a former mayor and council member of Red Oak. Speaking during one of the public hearings, Blue says the city needs to find additional revenue sources and supported a franchise fee over simply raising the rate on property taxes. Number one. I think franchise fees, I refer to them in my own mind, at least as a user fee. So the more you use, the more you pay. This, I prefer to paying property tax. The other thing is, I also feel that I have some control over this because I can cut back on the energy that I use. This is a stimulus to cut back on the energy that I'm going to use because then I will pay less on the franchise fee. One resident also suggested a 3% franchise fee on both services to try and find a compromise with some of the larger businesses and utility users in town. Page County officials are suggesting alternative routes around a major bridge replacement north of Shenandoah. At its regular meeting Thursday night, the county's Board of Supervisors heard from County Engineer J.D. King, who updated the board on county road use following the bridge's closure of U.S. Highway 59 over the East Nishtabanda River Monday. King says multiple gravel roads in the county are seeing a large influx of traffic. The official detour is U.S. 34 from Emerson over to Red Oak and then down 48 to Essex and then over to Shand. That's the official detour. As we anticipated and told the DOT, local traffic and even through traffic are using county roads, primarily 170th Street north of the bridge over east to A Avenue and then south. So we're generating a lot of the traffic through there, a lot of dust. He adds the Iowa Department of Transportation is offered to supply dust control in some of the worst areas. Officials of the Iowa DOT say that replacing the bridge with a longer and wider structure while also working on the banking underneath it will allow for a better river flow. In the meantime, King also suggested an alternative route for motorists, avoiding the construction zone due to how long the project is expected to take. I'd encourage traffic in Page County to, to use the 130th Street or J14, they also call it AA, the east-west pavement north of Essex, and then D Avenue or M41 down to Essex, and then on 48 over to Shan. King also suggested caution for motorists, particularly on gravel roads during peak travel hours. There's people that don't drive much gravel on gravels, and they uh, don't have appreciation for loose rock on the surface. And there's dust. There's a lot of dust right now. Until it you know rains and freezes or snows, there'll continue to be dust. Iowa DOT officials are hopeful the bridge replacement project on 59 will wrap up by August 2024. 
Clarinda school officials continue to make the case for a $10.3 million bond issue on the November 7th general election ballot. Clarinda's 7th through 12th facilities commons was the site of a second open house Wednesday evening on the proposed bond issue, which would cover a long list of renovations on the district's facilities. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Thursday morning, Clarinda school superintendent Jeff Privia says about 15 people attended the event in which school officials outlined the need for the referendum's passing. Privia says the presentation convinced at least one person to change their vote. We talked to a lady last night who was a no on the first bond issue, um, came to our meeting. She goes, now I understand what you guys are talking about and what you need. And she goes, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to vote yes. In addition, administrators fanned out across the community, giving at least 15 presentations to community groups regarding the upcoming elections. Privia says one of the questions asked by attendees is how can the district avoid heating and air conditioning issues in Clarinda school buildings in the future? Extensive HVAC renovations of the pre-K-6 building are covered under the bond issue referendum. Working with SiteLogic, we have a five-tier plan that will keep us out of harm's way, I guess I could say, with our HVAC for sure. So we have plans right now to fix what we need fixed right away. Um, that's part of the SAVE project. This Go Bond project fixes things that are in the one to two year. Then we have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, and a 15-year plan. Another question is whether Clarenda's school bond issue and the $16.7 million bond issue for a new Page County Jail on the same ballot will cancel each other out. Privius says there is need for both school improvements and a new jail. One more open house on the Clarenda school bond issue is scheduled for November 1st at 6.30 p.m. at the 712 Complex. You can hear the full interview with Jeff Privia with the web story at kmaland.com as well as on our Morning Line page. After a slight setback, plans for infrastructure work associated with the Nebraska City housing development is back on track. At its regular meeting Monday evening, the Nebraska City City Council unanimously awarded the infrastructure contract for the Crifles Hills subdivision to Bauer Infrastructure LLC of Martell, Nebraska, for more than $2.2 million. Council members tabled action on the contract earlier this month due to issues pinpointed in the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers environmental report of the project. Speaking on on KMA's Morning Line program Tuesday morning, Nebraska City Mayor Brian Beckett says the commissioner's action clears the way for the company to begin work ASAP. That company should be able to start any time on the grading of the entire site. We'll only build out as far as road, curb, and gutter and all that phase one, which is the extension of Morgan Drive up to Oak. But we should have uh, grading and be able to see some lots and see what parcels look like, hopefully by uh, August next year. Beckett says the city must find find another $400,000 to extend Morgan Drive to Grenman Avenue near the site of the subdivision's proposed multifamily housing lots. I think it would be a savings in the long run because we'd save deployment costs on another contractor having to come in and do that. But of course, when uh, those streets up there will be seven inch concrete. So when you're putting in roads like that, it's not cheap, but I think there would be a savings. It's just that we had only forecasted the two million. And when it came in more than that, we had to start phasing it a little bit. But I think the council's going to look at it if we can find it and hopefully they'll extend it to Morgan. If not, then we just wouldn't have those multifamily lots up there to be able to build out south towards the hospital. Beckett says potential developers have expressed considerable interest in the proposed development in the Crifles Hills subdivision. That wraps up this week in KMA Land.
Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This Week in KMA Land is a presentation of KMA News in Shenandoah.